Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Olson. This podcast is produced to give fundraisers and nonprofit leaders like you the tools to increase mission impact. Tune in weekly so you don't miss a thing. Your mission is critical. Your resources are finite. You need a partner that can deliver customized, scalable, and relevant donor communications that increase response and maximize net long-term revenue for your cause. You need Altus Marketing. Check us out at altusmktg.com or email me directly at a-o-l-s-e-n at a-l-t-u-s-m-k-t-g.com to learn how we can elevate your fundraising results. And now here's today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Andrew Olson, and I am, uh, I am here with a couple of guests today. So uh, first of all, it's going to be relevant to our conversation. I'm here with, um, with one of our baby African geese from the uh, Olson farm. Uh, this is our garage goose who um, who's here because she got injured. So we're we're rehabbing him in the garage. And I thought since we're talking fundraising and farming today, uh, why not start off the show uh, with a little bit of uh, goose interaction? But uh, more importantly, I've got Joel Eaton here, who's the founder and owner at Preface. Joel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So so you are uh, you are a, an experienced graphic designer. You're you're a nonprofit marketer. Um, you've worked with dozens of different organizations and you also are a hobby farmer. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, um, I got my start, my professional start in, um, nonprofit marketing, working for an organization called union gospel mission, um, in the twin cities. Um, well, uh, hold up right there for a second. Yeah. Union gospel mission in the twin cities, like Minneapolis, St. Paul. Yeah. Yeah. So I lived there for 15 years. How did we never meet? Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. I just, I just moved in October. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So I was their, uh, their full-time graphic designer. Um, and we, we went from using a, a larger vendor, um, when I first got there to, they hired a graphic designer and a copywriter and a, and a okay. person to manage us. And, uh, we took on this, multi-million dollar um annual fund program huh. where where we were we we're doing a lot of direct mail a lot of uh digital um and uh i kind of got my feet wet in there um I, I i grew both as a graphic designer in that position but also just kind of learning from really experienced people because we actually kept on the vendor kind of from a strategy standpoint and so we were constantly kind of learning and testing through through them um and growing in that process and then as a part of covid and growing my own business on the side um I just felt like the right time to to do my own thing and uh, was able to have the flexibility to to work from home and um, the flexibility to move uh, back to Maine where I grew up. And that's where we we purchased our small eight acre farm, so, which, awesome. was, which wasn't a farm at the time. It was just eight acres of land and a house. And in the last six months, we've kind of been slowly moving it in that direction. Okay, so what do you have on your farm today? Today we have two pigs. Uh, We have, I I lost track of how many chickens. Um, (laughs) um, We have uh, about 15 guinea hens that wander around eating ticks. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and uh, lots of um, gardening going on. We cleared a whole bunch of land this year to to do a, a big squash garden and a big uh, no-till row garden. Um, we also have um, about 80 um, meat chickens that we're raising. Um, so it's this ongoing uh, thing that just never ends. <laughs> so, so this sounds uh, so familiar, and that's why I love following you on LinkedIn um, because it, it's it's so similar to what we're living right now. We we moved during the pandemic from from Minneapolis. Um, I actually I, I know the UGM Twin Cities folks pretty well. I did, do you know Barb Martinson? Did you work with her? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. did. Yeah, she was Bar- in my department. Yeah, Barb, Barb's a great friend of mine. Um, uh, spent time with, with some of their board and, and different folks. But um, but yeah, we, we moved during the pandemic, we moved down to Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, we were here for a year living in a little tiny apartment with uh, with five people. Um, oh, wow. until, uh, until about eight months ago when we found a plot of land with a house on it, um, it had been farmed in the past had, had been, you know, uh, they'd raise cattle on it and different things, mm-hmm. but, but not for a couple of years. And so we're in the process of rehabbing that ourselves right now as well. And we've got, we've got pigs, we've got chickens, we've got Guinea hens. Um, and oh my goodness, they never shut up. I yeah. Mean, it's, it's insane. <laughs> I, I, I love them so much though. They're so, so entertaining. Yes. Just, yeah. They're just, I love that uh, a group of guineas, the technical term is a confusion yes, because that's so true. That's so accurate. <laughs> it is. Yes. You know, we've got, uh, we've got some goats, uh, and, uh, we've got a couple of Jersey steer that wander the property and, and, <laughs> try to tell us what to do. So um, I'm excited to talk today because I think we both kind of come to this conclusion uh, or or realization that there are a number of similarities between farming and fundraising. And so I want to, I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, You know, I, I think oftentimes I hear people say, oh yes, you know, you can compare these two because you have to quote, plant a lot of seeds. (laughs) <laughs> in, in fundraising and, and then you wait for for things to develop and i yes that's true but that feels to me like it's just scratching the surface talk talk a little bit about how you see this i mean i really enjoy a good metaphor and i've actually had to kind of pull back on linkedin where i feel like there's been times that i'm just like i'm just gonna use another metaphor today <laughs> i gotta <laughs> i gotta try to try something else uh, but yeah, I mean, I just feel like there's so many lessons that can be learned. And one of the things I did share on LinkedIn was just the idea of when you first get these piglets and they don't trust you at all, and they just, they're super skittish and they want nothing to do with you. And it's just the patience that it takes to kind of gain that trust um, and to kind of keep coming back every day and keep providing um, something for them. Um, it, there's there's a great um, connection there in our relationship with donors is that we can't expect that they would just uh, come in and this relationship would just be like perfect in the beginning. It's we have to gain their trust through everything we do. And we have to keep coming back and keep providing something and keep building on that versus just kind of starting and then hoping that everything works out in the end. And so, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, that's, one. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, there's, there's so many things. I think that the, the growing a seed thing does have 
um, a lot of merit to it. Just the amount of patience that it takes and um, that you sometimes things work and sometimes they don't. And you just kind of have to keep trying and keep trying different things. Um, one of the things that we like to do um, that we've been able to do really well um, on our new land is, is do syrup in the, in the mm -hmm. early, early spring. And uh, one of the first when I've really started posting a lot on LinkedIn, one of the first things I said was you get sometimes uh, doing syrup is a lot like donor acquisition. You gotta, you gotta boil a lot of sap to get that sweet <laughs> stuff. And, and, so, and yes, you have to, it takes a ton of resources to get to a very small amount of payoff. Don't you think? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could have a list of 50,000 names and get a couple hundred responses and, you got, but the, but the idea is that in the end, those couple hundred or thousand people would, we can, we can foster those relationships and keep kind of growing that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on. There's plenty of <laughs> connections. You know, one of the ones that gets me and, and I didn't really connect it until living here for a while um, because I got so frustrated after a bit, but it's this idea that you can have the best plan, the most well-articulated strategy. And, and you can, you know, you can be certain that if you do these things, they're going to work for your organization. But when you show up, everybody else also gets a vote on how they show up. And so, <laughs> you know, I, 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 we, we, we got some, some new piglets and um, we, we brought them to the farm. We set up a pen for them. And we released them into the pen. And within 40 seconds, they broke through the fence and ran into oh, the man. forest. And it took us two weeks to get them back. Two and weeks? Two weeks, yes. And, and so my wife and I were both looking at each other like, we should just throw in the towel. We should stop this. This is stupid. Let's go move back to a condo. Um, and, and, and after being able to like process that, uh, that frustration and stress, and we got the, the piglets back and they're safe now. Um, but you know, I started thinking about that in the context of my other work. And like, there's plenty of times that organizations will try something and they'll be like, Hey, we've got this great thing set up. We're going to do this. And then they put it in market and something happens. And it's like, Holy crap. We didn't plan for all these different contingencies of what would happen once we put something in market and started testing it. And, and we really do have to be able to be nimble enough to say, well, the market's going to respond and it may not work perfectly. So how do we navigate that as leaders and, and not just, you know, succumb to the feeling of failure? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the other piece of that is, like you said, like not just giving up, but realizing that we can, we can catch the piglets and then, and then find a way to fix it yeah. versus saying like, okay, we lost the piglets they're probably going to get eaten by wolves. Let's, let's be done. <laughs> like, like finding, finding a way to solve these problems. I think that that's, that's a big part of what I do is, is realizing that everything needs to be tested and mm. that that involves failure and that we kind of have to expect that. And when we throw a lot of money at something, it's, it's really hard to say, okay, this might fail, but it has to be part of your mindset. Otherwise you're just going to be disappointed. Um, but the idea is that in the long run, you're going to test and improve and test and improve to the point that you'll have 
what you need um, to be successful. I mean, yeah. I, I have a similar, I have a similar story that happened just the other day. I did have a pig get out yesterday, um, but that was short lived. Um, but um, we are running these chickens in what they call a chick, chicken tractor. Um, for people who don't know, uh, a chicken tractor is basically just a chicken coop um, that you can move and it doesn't have a floor. And so you you move them onto new grass every day. And so the chickens are eating the grass. They're getting a clean um, area every day, sometimes twice a day. Um, and then their scratching and their manure is also helping the grass and helping everything grow really well. Um, but uh, so I... I bought this book by John Siskovich uh, on how to build his chicken tractor, which a lot of people use. And I really like it because you can walk into it and it's really well thought out and the plans are super specific. Um, and so it was really easy to build. Um, and then, so we got them out and you, you put them out in about three weeks um, and almost immediately like chickens got out. <laughs> and so basically what it is, is the, the pasture, which isn't really a pasture, but we're making into a pasture, isn't level and has holes. And so when you have this flat board going across it, there's going to be dips and valleys and places where little birds can get out. Um, and so kind of figuring out how to like fill those gaps every time we move and finding ways to work with it until the point that the birds get big enough that it's not really a problem. Um, but figuring out that, okay, so like, even though I spent weeks building these and I did everything right, um, chicken still got out, but we caught them all. None of them died. Um, we were able to find solutions and move on and, uh, and work with, with what we've got going forward. So yeah, again, the same thing in nonprofit, um, the best laid plans, whether you're talking about how people respond or how the market responds. Um, sometimes we have to kind of step back, catch our pigs, catch our chickens, fix the problem and move forward. Yeah. You know, one of the other ones that struck me and I still struggle with it because I'm, um, I like to complete things and oh, I, yeah. I, I am so driven by accomplishing things, you know, um, is that, and I, I think it, it works both for, for our sector, but also for what we're talking about with farming is that nothing is ever finished. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. no matter how hard you work on something. And I think about this from a fundraising perspective, right? No matter like we could work our butts off and we could raise 10 times what we raised last year. But when we start the new year, the clock resets to zero. Right. Right. And, and, and we've got to do it all over again. And sometimes it's even that way on a month to month basis. Um, you know, I, we were, we were doing some work in the, in the yard and, and I spent, you know, 15 hours weeding and mowing and different things. And I looked around and I was like, oh, this looks great. And then I turned to my left and I looked at the rest of it and I was like, oh my gosh, it still looks like a triple canopy jungle over there. Like, yeah, this is insane. I'm never going to finish this. And my wife was like, yeah, nothing's ever going to be done. Like it, but there's always going to be one more thing to do. Um, how, I don't know. I'm curious to get your perspective on that. And also just to, to think through how we, as, as leaders and fundraisers, like how do how do we balance that need and that desire to accomplish things with the understanding that like tomorrow we still have to show up and keep doing the work. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely feel 
that feeling at home of nothing is ever done. There's always a, an ongoing list and that list keeps getting added to, but um, professionally as well, it's like you said, we have to be, we have to be taking those wins and, and keep moving. Hmm. And so when we, when we do have something that is finished, we have to get excited about that and say, oh man, that's really good that I finished that. And then kind of look to the next thing and, and just be systematic about that. One of the things I was going to mention was um, I really like this book that I read by Sam, Sam Carpenter called Work the System. Okay. Um, he uh, is, uh, he owns a, um, a call center, like a phone call center, which you can okay. imagine is, is kind of one of those things that's kind of slowly going dying. Yeah. Um, but he was in its prime working. Well, my printer decided to start making <laughs> noise. I'm going to stop and maybe you can edit that out. Um, uh, he was in its, in it, in his prime working like 80 hours a week because there were no systems in place to, mm. to make sure that things were functioning well. Um, and so it's just, the point is that he went from 80 hours a week to, to he says like one hour a week, um, still with the printer. Right. Again, we're talking about all the things you can do, right? You can <laughs> unplug all the appliances and set up the microphone and still something wants to be a jerk. Um, so anyway, so, uh, talking about how we can set up systems for what we do so that we can accomplish them in a way that is effective in a way that's efficient. Um, so that we're not wasting our time doing things that we don't need to be doing. And so when we feel like there's just like all this work that has to be done, how can we do that the most efficient way? How can we not be doing the same thing over and over and over again? Um, like some things we can't avoid like weeding, but at the same time, can we mulch? <laughs> can we do a better job mulching? And so, yeah, I mean, I think that that can, that can apply to both farming and fundraising and that, yes, the work is never going to be done. There's always going to be things that need to be done, but how can we do this in the most efficient way? How can we find things that we do every day or things that we do regularly and create a system so that we don't have to be spending an enormous amount of time on these things and getting so burnt out, um, by the way that we do them. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. You know, one of the other things I was curious to get your perspective on, I, I think a, another kind of corollary area is in this idea of resilience, right? And mm. and needing to build the muscle. You talked about failure earlier, but like building that muscle so that failure doesn't destroy you, right? Because there are plenty of times in both sides of my work where I show up and I'm like, man, I tried that and I thought it was going to work. And and it didn't at all, or, you know, we like, we had an animal die, uh, you know, there was an accident on the farm and then and one of the birds died. Um, and like, you look across our family and everybody just looked like, oh my gosh, like we, we, we don't want to be responsible for this anymore. Right. Like this is, mm -hmm. this is terrible. Um, and, and, and so, you know, again, sort of the idea of like, should we even be doing this? And I think, you know, fundraisers and nonprofit leaders, you know, obviously not a lot of dying happening, I hope in their organizations, but when something goes wrong and they, and they realize, oh, wow, we, we actually lost, you know, we lost revenue or we had a, a negative mission impact. Like, how do we, should we even be in this business? I hear, I hear nonprofit leaders and fundraisers all the time who are, are dejected and, and frustrated and saying things like, you know, should I just throw in the towel and, 
go do something else? Should I go into the corporate world? Should I go, you know, whatever? Um, how, how do we, how do you think about this idea of resilience and how do we build that muscle and, and help people develop that strength so that a setback doesn't destroy them? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that setbacks and failures are everywhere. Um, but I, it feels, I feel like we feel it more keenly when life is involved. Hmm. Um, I've heard it say that, um, whenever you have livestock, you'll also have dead stock, um, that it's just, it's just part of the process. Um, and we've been doing it a long enough that we've dealt with a little bit of that because we actually did it on a smaller scale in the suburbs and in, in uh, St. Paul. And, uh, and it does get easier, but it's never easy. Mm. Um, but it also kind of puts everything else into perspective that when you're dealing with some of this stuff, that's really, really hard. It makes some of your, other stuff feel like, okay, like if I can handle that, I can handle this. Um, and realizing that we just have to kind of adjust our expectations and realize that failure is inevitable <laughs> and um, struggle is inevitable and that we can do hard things. Um, that's something that I try to instill in my kids is you can do hard things and mm. um, there's going to be a lot of things in life that aren't easy and you can handle it. And you sometimes need to flex that muscle, like you said, or uh, exercise those muscles of, of that to, to realize how capable you are and to realize that some things are a big deal and some things aren't. Uh, and we need to figure out um, how we're going to move forward and uh, continue to, to do the good work. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. Um, so one of the other ones that I am interested to get your take on, you know, both from a, sort of when I think about livestock and, and you know, for us, uh, you know, that that's part of our food source, right? Um, right. And, but it's, it's, it's never, you know, it's never an easy process, right? Um, but there's, a, there's a, a point at which, you know, we stop as a family and give thanks you know, to, mm. to this, the animal, um, because of the sacrifice that they, that the animal yeah. made for us. Right. And, and, and it's, it got me thinking about like, how are we authentically thanking, not just our donors, but everyone involved in the work that we do as an organization. Right. So, so I think about, let's, let's use union gospel mission, for example. Um, it's very easy to say, oh, yes, you have to stop. You have to make sure you authentically thank your supporters. Make sure that, you know, who knows, depending on what, what metric you follow, well, you thank them seven times before you ask them again, whatever that might look like, right? But when when was the last time we stopped and said, you know, we, we need to make sure that we also thank our guests for allowing us to serve them, right? Oh, yeah. We, we need to thank them for, for, for being willing to risk enough to say, Hey, I want to change my life and I'm going to entrust you to help me change it. Mm -hmm. Like, like talk a little bit about that, that idea of, of both sacrifice and, and sort of, you know, just kind of the, the authentic um, generosity that we, we need to show and, and how that correlates. I think that 
those of us in the nonprofit sector, um, we have one of the greatest jobs there is and that we get to be on the front lines of seeing this transformation in people, whether that's homelessness or addiction or hunger or um, even organizations that deal specifically with animal rights. Um, But uh, we have this opportunity to to do this work. And so I, I genuinely do feel grateful. And, and I think that, like you said, it's important to show that gratitude to, to people that we're working with and the people and, and with the donors. But um, I think it's about just kind of keeping those relationships open. Um, I think that so often there is a divide between program and development. And so that development can be a be with um with clients and with people they're helping and so that they can grow from that and, and, and see it on the front lines. Um, one, uh, really, um, apt experience that I can reference is, uh, I worked with a copywriter at Union Gospel Mission and her job was to, to get stories from Mm -hmm. clients, um, of their lives transformed. And she was, um, that like the most friendly person there was to these guys. And she was also, um, I would say she would say for the most part, she's a self-divine introvert, but when she went into the, to the addiction recovery center, like they all knew her by name Hmm. and they were, and she, she knew them and she knew their stories and she asked about their families and asked about their new jobs. And it was a personal relationship besides like, how am I going to just get this information and go? Um, Which I think in some ways, made her more effective. Like, I know that that's not the only reason she did it, but it, it made her stories more real and more raw because people were willing to, to share more with her. Um, but also they felt like they had a role. Um, like they, um, they weren't being, uh, used, um, for their stories, but they, but Mm. their stories had a role in helping other people. Um, she did a really good job at explaining that and helping people under helping, uh, the clients understand that we're going to use your story and it's going to go to donors and donors are going to give money and we can continue to do these programs. Um, and they were always involved in every step of the process as far as they would see the first draft and they would see the final draft before it went out. Um, but just showing that gratitude to them for in, in so many ways, we couldn't do our job without them. Like we couldn't do our job without the program staff, but we could also couldn't do our job if we didn't have these stories to share. Mm -hmm. Um, and so sharing that gratitude with, with the clients, um, but also, um, being able to, to in turn take those stories and share our gratitude with the donors through the stories and say, we're so grateful to you that, that we get to do this work because of your donations. Um, and so, yeah, I think that overall, there's just a lot of gratitude to be had. There's a lot of thanks to be had in the nonprofit world. And, and we need to share that and spread that as much as possible. Yeah. Love that. So I think, uh, I think at this point, you know, we're, we're pretty close to, to wrapping, but I, I want to just throw off some, some quick, uh, you know, sort of rapid fire questions at you. So my first one is, uh, do you have any, uh, any sort of what I would call, you know, for the show final, final advice or, or th- insight for nonprofit leaders and fundraisers in their journey, anything you want to leave people with? 
Yeah, I, I would just repeat the point that you have to give yourself the ability to fail. Um, mm-hmm. You have to allow yourself to try something new, to be okay with messing up, um, and but don't end there. Don't fail and say, okay, let's try something completely different. Let's let's find a way to test this. Let's find a way to tweak this. And maybe you've got maybe you're ninety percent there, and you just have to make one small change. Um, but you need to do that um, in order to be effective. Um, I think that sometimes that's hard for nonprofits because there's a scarcity mindset of we can't spend more money because we only have so much money. But unfortunately, the the mantra in business that you have to spend money to make money is also true in nonprofits. And so you have to kind of allow that in your budget and in your mindset that this stuff take time takes time and, and we'll get there eventually if we continue to test and adjust. That's great. Um, you already shared one book recommendation with us, but uh, what's the best professional development book you've you've read recently, or you would want to recommend? Well, I'm in the middle of a two uh, two right now. One of them is I'm kind of late to the party on this one. Is the Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller, okay, and and the accompanying books. Um, I just really like the idea of. Uh, I mean, I'm. A lot of it's really rudimentary stuff, but the idea of breaking down what a good story is and how we can use that to to create um, stories that engage donors. Um, he's talking from more of a marketing professional market, like a corporate marketing standpoint. But the idea that your your customer or your donor is the hero, um, and you're you're wanting to find ways to to include them in your story versus you're the hero and how, and look at all the good things that you're doing. Um, and then the other one that I love from a design standpoint, and I think anyone who's creative and I think anyone, everyone is, has to be creative in their work is steal like an artist. Um, it's one of those great books. That's really, um, graphically inclined. So you can kind of get through it in like an hour, um, maybe less. Uh, but the, the main point is that there's nothing new under the sun (laughs) and, uh, the, the difference between plagiarism and being an artist is plagiarize. When you plagiarize, you take the whole thing and you call it your own. When you steal like an artist, you, you take bits and pieces from, from different artists and different creative people and you you make one thing that is maybe better than the last um and not being afraid to take an idea that's really good and find a way to to use that in your own setting awesome what's the the most insightful learning that you've had about our sector in the last year or so um with all of the everything in our world has been really contentious lately with COVID and there's just so much going on in our country. I feel like listening more than ever Hmm. is, is really important. And just being aware that things change and mindsets change and opinions can change. And uh, seeing that sometimes you have to say, okay, there's something that I've done for a really long time, or maybe it's a technique in, in nonprofit. Um, marketing that that maybe we have to look at again and say maybe this isn't the best thing um maybe it's effective maybe it works but maybe it's not um considering everyone's feelings and Mm -hmm. so i think it's important to to be open to that 
and to kind of keep our eyes open and our ears open to uh, different people's stories and, and how it affects others. Awesome. Uh, on the flip side of your work on the, on the farming side, what's the, what's the biggest learning you've had about yourself uh, since you started farming? Oh man. Um, I would just go back to the whole, like, you can do hard things <laughs> like, like you, you're, you're capable of more than, you know, and while there are things that you've never thought you'd have to do, um, sometimes that happens. Um, it, an example from last night was, um, we have a dog who is half a great Pyrenees, She's not an outside dog, but she's very much a great Pyrenees. And so she barks at everything. Mm -hmm. And last night she woke us up to, we're pretty sure what was it was a cougar. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Like Like we heard it a couple times. And so I went out with her and made sure all the animals were okay. And, uh, I can't say it wasn't scary and I can't say it was something that I've done before. But uh, new experiences just make us stronger and we can, we can keep growing and doing those things every day. Uh, amen. I love, love that. Um, so before I let you go, where can people learn more about you and the work that you're doing? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I post almost daily, um, but then also uh, you can find me on my website at prefacemarketing.com. Awesome. Well, Joel, uh, I appreciate you being here. This was a fun conversation, insightful discussion. Um, thanks again for, for joining me. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Hey, you too. Have you read my Amazon number one best-selling book, 101 Biggest Mistakes Nonprofits Make and How You Can Avoid Them Yet? It's the book that I wrote with expertise from over 20 nonprofit leaders and their 300 years of combined experience. You can download it for free today. Just visit andrewolson.net and go to the free resources tab on my site.